welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. This is Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And today's episode is brought to you by Silverette. Have you ever struggled with sore or cracked nipples while nursing your baby? Silverette silver nursing cups are your one-stop solution to soothe and protect your nursing nipples. And today's episode is also brought to you by Fairhaven Health. Fairhaven Health is introducing a new product, which I guess isn't that new anymore, which I said the last time I did this ad. <laughs> I always get excited. I'm like, what's new? I know. I'm sorry. It's the That's sage. Okay. It's still a little bit new to us, though. We haven't done, haven't done this one in a lot. So it's the sage personal moisturizer and lubricant, which um, people should be taking advantage of. Yeah. But we will hear more. From our sponsors later, um, but if you need anything, check our sponsor page at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com and see if you can give them any of your business because they make this podcast possible. And uh, also, while you're there, you can scroll down and enter your email address and we will send episodes straight to your inbox every week. And don't leave without checking our shop page for our cool merch. It's bussin'. And uh, now Diane has our review of the week. Yes, I do. And this came to Abby's Instagram, right? The one about Mm -hmm. the self-care? Yeah. Yes. And this came to Abby's Instagram. So see, there's lots of ways to send us a review. Way number one is always the iTunes, if you can do it, because that is like super helpful to the podcast. But we do get them through Instagram. We get them through email, like whatever, you know, whatever works. And she says, just listening to Stress and Milk, I hate the pressure of self-care. Um, and honestly, when I first read this, I was like, wow, we talked about self-care and stress and we talked about it in self-care. So there's a couple different ways to kind of go back to listening to our views on self-care. Yeah. Just listening to, to stress and milk. I hate the pressure of self-care. I recently lost a best friend because of that idea of you need to make more time for yourself. I recently went from full time to my own business and I was questioning that and stressed and worried of course, who wouldn't be, right? So I called my BFF who said she would she would never hire me because I don't take care of myself. And I do not, and I do, but not to her standard of like CrossFit and a vegan lifestyle and all that other stuff that she deems self-care. Right. I still hear her comments when I sit to rest or eat or treat or miss a workout. I still hear her and feel guilty. This podcast, as much as I came to listen and learn, you healed me. And now I'm sobbing. Thank you. You help people in ways you don't even know. And this was really like kind of hit it home for me. And I think for Abby too, because it's like, wow, like why would somebody actually say that to their friend? Why the hell would you say that? Yeah. I mean, Everybody does their own thing, right? And if you think something really helps you, if it's really helpful for you to do CrossFit every day and you feel like that's important for your mental health, great. But that doesn't mean everybody needs to do that. And that you should make, you know, not make fun, but you should berate somebody else's lifestyle because they don't do what you do. And I can't believe we have to say that. I know. I know. It's, it's like going it's back to kindergarten. Ridiculous. That's a, yeah. That person seems like she has issues. Oh God. So maybe it's better to have that toxic lifestyle out. Yeah. But you, that doesn't go away. Like then you, like you said, you hear that in your head, like you hear that, you hear those voices, they stay with you. It's just, it, it is not, it is not healthy at all. 
Um, so I'm so sorry that that happened. And I'm glad that we were able to validate some of that for you because um, I really honestly, like when we did that self-care and we really talked about the other end of self-care of being like, I think that really hit home for a lot of people. Honestly, I yeah. think it really did. I think it, because we've heard from a lot of people who kind of felt the same way. And I think that's really important. So, yes. Yeah. So thank you so much for um, for sending that and for letting us use that as a review um, because I know it was very personal and um, that is really amazing that you shared it with us. So thank you so much. Yes, you. Um, today, it's going to be fun. We're Today's going to be fun. I think it's, this is so interesting to me because I was thinking about even just the title of it. It's like we never think about mental health as being a thing for like babies, children, anything like that. Right. We only think and, of adults. Right. And when I was, um, I mean, I pulled out my notes last night and was, you know, looking through everything or whatever. And, you know, I was texting with a friend of mine who doesn't have kids. And um, I was like, yeah, we're doing infant mental health tomorrow. I'm doing a little bit of research. Because she's like, what are you guys doing tonight? And of course, you know, I mean, what are you doing? I'm looking for freaking doing my re- podcast it's research. Saturday, Saturday night. night. I'm doing right? podcast like, research. What is everybody else doing? Huh? Right. Isn't that Come what on, you're doing? People. <laughs> So, you know, I was like, and crocheting, I'm like an 80 year old. (laughs) So I'm, you know, I was like, this. she's like, infant mental health. Like, what is that? And I'm like, all right, let's talk about Dahmer. This is why, you know, like I'm totally like, you know, explaining to her why infant mental health is a thing. And she's like, well, that does make sense. Well, even like, even because we say things like, you know, breastfeeding and like attachment and security and like, you know how like, you know, the relationship forms and we say these things and we still never say the term infant mental health. But that's right. what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about. And, you know, and I put it in, I know, no, we're kind of joking and, you know, I think was it last week's episode or something? One of the recent ones was talking about how, like we were talking about Dahmer before, you know, that we started the episode. Right. And I mean, I know probably people that are listening have watched it and um, I'm only like halfway through it, but I'm looking at it from like a infant mental health and a maternal child health background, right? Like I'm watching yeah. this show as a maternal child health specialist person. And one of the things that I know, Abby, that you, you know, that you haven't watched it and that's not your thing. I but, can't do it. I've heard too much about it. I've heard about, I just have heard how disturbing it is and I can't it's do very it. Dis- yeah, it's pretty disturbing. But one of the things, like there was a lot of neglect. Uh, like to- Really? Like, yeah. Oh. Like really extreme neglect. Interesting. I mean, if they're portraying this correctly, which they probably are, at least that part, there was a lot of neglect happening with this in this household. And he like, I think his mother had her own mental health issues and um, she ended up like disappearing at one point. And, you know, he just really didn't have anybody. And I think his father tried, but really just didn't know what he was doing either. It's kind of sad. But there was a lot of neglect there. And one of the things that he kept saying, like when they finally caught him and stuff was like you know, what are you doing? You know? And he was like, I wanted them to stay with me. Like he was drawing people in. He didn't know how to. Yeah. And killing them because he didn't want to be alone. That way he was, he wanted them to stay with him. Yeah. And when these people were like, dude, I'm out of here. You're a freaking weirdo. He would kill them because he didn't want them to leave. Like, that's fucked mm. up. It's you know? fucked up. <laughs> but like that is, that comes from the neglect piece. Yeah. I remember right? when we talked in that, whatever, whatever episode, what was it when we were talking about this? Um, 
when I was talking about how much more damaging neglect is. And people think about mm-hmm. physical abuse as being so damaging. Of course it is. But neglect right. really is, you get more like fucked up people with the neglect. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like literally um, just not engaging. Yeah. So we are going to jump in here. So the thing with, no, I took this infant mental health course. Um, it was right when COVID was starting. So it's like we had one in-person class and then all the rest were, um, you know, on Zoom because um, we all got, you know, banned to our yeah. homes. Yeah, because COVID hit. So it really like it was a fascinating class and it probably would have been better in person because we would have been able to interact with each other more. But um it really was fascinating. And um, for me, this stuff is like, well, of course, you know, like we know that when you are a, a breastfeeding parent, that there is a lot more nurturing happening, right? Because, and we're not saying, and I was actually talking with my um, with my husband about this yesterday, that like, we're not saying that, okay, you don't bond with your child, but that's not the case, right? That is really not the case that you're going to build a serial killer because you didn't breastfeed your right, child. That like is, that's not like, not yeah. at all the thing. No, not at all what we're trying to say here. But nurturing is sort of built in to breastfeeding, right? Nurturing it's like is easy, built it's in. easier, yeah, or it's yeah. Like more more ready at, ready at hand. And it's and like there is a lot of research out there showing that you know babies that are breastfed are held twice as much as babies that are not. They are by their parent. They are responded to constantly by their parent. They are, you know, like it's because when you're bottle feeding, it's very easy to be like somebody else. Can you get up and get the baby for me? Can you, you know, and there isn't that connection with the mother as much as with when you're breastfeeding them. But there are other ways to connect. And a lot of, if you're not breastfeeding and a lot of parents do make that effort to make sure that you're connecting in other ways. and um this is like extreme, you know, but yeah, we obviously do, the yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer this, situation is extreme. It's totally, it's as extreme as you There's can get. There's probably some other factors going on there too. Oh yeah. But, um, but we do know like when we are, when I was taking this course, there is a lot to it and the infant brain is very vulnerable. And what happens during that time frame does mold a lot of things that go on in their life. So there is a lot of, um, there is a lot to this infant mental health piece. And I just think it's so interesting and so fascinating. So one of the things I, so I was digging out all my info and like I sent you that book yes, last night, you know, and oh, I'm yeah. like digging out all this stuff. And, you know, I was like, oh my God, this is such great information. Cause you know, how it is when you're like, you know, a couple of years go by till you look at something and it's like, wow, this is great. Why don't I look at it every day? So one of the things that I'm going to start with is um, this came from, the Center on the Developing Child from Harvard University, Eight Things to Remember About Child Development. So we're going to talk about this for a second. I'm going to read these eight things. Building on a well-established knowledge base more than half a century in the making, recent advantages in the science of early childhood development and its underlying biology provide a deeper understanding that can inform and improve existing policy and practice, as well as help generate new ways of thinking about solutions. In this important list featured in from the Best Practices to Breakthrough Impacts Report, the Center on the Developing Child sets the record straight about some aspects of early child development. And the basics behind like this course is that it really, it's for people that like, you know, how like Abby's, Abby's job before she had her kids. Like this is the kind of stuff, you know, these are kids that are in the system that are troubled. You're looking back to go, okay, how do we prevent it? 
How do mm-hmm. we prevent this from happening? So this right. is not like your average parent, you know, like this is really like, you know, situations where you've got social workers and, you know, child development specialists that are, are working with kids who are really struggling. So they are put into homes where they can try to prevent this from happening. So this is kind of, you know, this is really where it, it comes out. Um, so number one, our first thing here for eight things to remember about child development Even infants and young children are affected adversely when significant stresses threaten their family and caregiving environments. Adverse fetal and early childhood experiences can lead to physical and chemical disruptions in the brain that can last a lifetime. The biological changes associated with these experiences can affect multiple organ systems and increase the risk not only for impairments in future learning capacity and behavior, but also for poor physical and mental health outcomes. And this is like, you know, obviously, um, very significant stressors that are happening in the home. And when I, um, as we go on, like I'm going to, there's a whole, like I have a whole thing that we, I'm going to read too about what stressors are like impactful and what are normal stressors that, you know, yeah. are just normal everyday stressors for kids. Development number two is development is a highly interactive process and life outcomes are not determined solely by the genes. So the environment in which one develops before and soon after birth provides powerful experiences that chemically modify certain genes in ways that define how much and when they are expressed. Thus, when genetic factors exert potent influences on human development, environmental factors have the ability to alter family inheritance. For example, children are born with the capacity to learn to control impulses, focus attention, and retain information and memory, but their experiences as early as the first year of life lay foundation for how well these and other executive functioning skills develop. So that is fascinating to me that what can happen with your baby in the first year of their life mm-hmm. will impact their learning ability later on. Like that mm-hmm. is just, it is really, um, really fascinating. Number three, while attachments to their parent are primary, young children can also benefit significantly from relationships with other responsive caregivers, both within and outside the family, close relationships with other nurturing and reliable reliable available adults do not interfere with the strength of a young child's primary relationship with his or her parents. In fact, multiple caregivers can promote young children's social and emotional development. That said, Mm -hmm. frequent disruptions in care and high staff turnover and poor quality interactions in early childhood program settings can undermine the children's ability to establish secure expectations about whether and how their needs will be met. Sounded like mm-hmm. you wanted to say something about that. No, I just, I have so much to say. I'm just going to shut up. But yeah, I just like, like, that is like, that is just so, I, I, I like that idea of like, multi, you know, the more healthy <gasps> adult, more healthy adults connections that children have, the better. Right. And how like we often think, uh, on this podcast do we talk about how that is so broken down now? Like yeah, the, the right. community is not there like it was. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, it's just so important. And I think about that sometimes with my kids. I'm like, oh, who else? You know, like, I want to get them spending more time with like their friends' parents, you know, and like, just like having these like adults in their life where that they have help with the relationship with. So, right. Coaches and, you know, grandparents and like all of that stuff is super important. Number four. A great deal of brain architecture is shaped during the first three years after birth, but the window of opportunity for its development does not close on a child's third birthday. 
Far from it. Basic aspects of brain function, such as the ability to see and hear effectively, do depend critically on the very early experiences, as do some aspects of emotional development. And while the regions of the brain dedicated to higher order functions, which involve most social, emotional, and cognitive capacities, including multiple aspects of executive functioning, are also affected powerfully by early influences, they continue to develop well into adolescence and early adulthood. So although the basic principle that earlier is better than later generally applies, the window of opportunity for most domains of development remain open far beyond age three, and we remain capable of learning ways to work around earlier impacts well into the adult years. So, I mean, we can still make a difference for these children. It doesn't matter. Like, if you're like, oh my gosh, well, you know, they had a shitty upbringing. That can change. Right. Like the impacts that we can make on these kids later on also make a huge difference in their brain development. Yeah. Severe neglect. uh, This is number five. Severe neglect appears to be at least as great a threat to health and development as physical abuse, probably even greater. So that's exactly what Abby Mm -hmm. was saying in the beginning. Yes. Um, When compared with children who have been victimized by overt physical maltreatment, young children who experienced prolonged periods of neglect exhibit more serious cognitive impairments, attention problems, language deficits, academic difficulties, withdrawn behavior, and problems with peer interactions as they get older. This suggests that sustained disruption of severe and return interactions and early relationships may be more damaging to the developing architecture of the brain than physical trauma, yet it receives less attention. Yes. Yep. So, and then there's a little chart about neglect is the most prevalent form of child maltreatment and how neglect is like way higher than all the others. Mm -hmm. Um, Number six, young children who have been exposed to adverse Adversity or violence do not invariably develop stress-related disorders or grow up to be violent adults. Although children who have these experiences clearly are at a greater risk for adverse impacts on brain development and later problems with aggression, they are not doomed to poor outcomes. Indeed, they can be helped substantially if reliable and nurturing relationships with supportive caregivers are established as soon as possible and appropriate treatments are provided as needed. Seven, simply removing a child from a dangerous environment will not automatically reverse the negative impacts of that experience. There is no doubt that children in harm's way should be removed from dangerous situations immediately. Similarly, children experience severe neglect should be provided with responsive caregiving as soon as possible. That said, children who have been traumatized need to be in environments that restore their sense of safety, control, and predictability, and they typically require therapeutic supportive care to facilitate their recovery. And eight, resilience requires relationships, not rugged individualism. The capacity to adapt and thrive despite adversity develops through the interaction of supportive relationships, biological systems, and gene expression. Despite the widespread erroneous belief that people need to only draw upon some heroic strength of character, like get strong. Science now tells us that it is the reliable presence of at least one supportive relationship and multiple opportunities for developing effective coping skills that are the essential building blocks for strengthening the capacity to do well in the face of significant adversity. And those, everybody, are your eight things to remember about child development. So before we go on to other things, I think Abby should weigh in on what she wants to say. because. You said you had a lot. 
Oh, no. I mean, I just like, I just like, it's some of it, so much, so much of that resonates with like my experiences with working with children, um, which is what Diane saying before was what I did. And when I, what they were children who were abused and neglected as infants and young children and were removed from the home and, um, the ones that ex- experienced a lot of neglect were far worse off and um, simply removing them from that environment is not what helps, you know, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't cure it. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> Should we do our ads? And yeah. then I'm going to, uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about brain development and um, we're going to talk about those stressors too. All right. All right. We will be right back when I can find my paper. Here it is. My gosh. Have you... Today's episode is brought to you by Silverette. Have you struggled with sore or cracked nipples while nursing your baby? Silverette Silver Nursing Cups are your one-stop solution to soothe and protect your nursing nipples. Since silver is a naturally antimicrobial and antifungal metal, it can help ward off bacteria and infections before they appear. Silver, a naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and antibacterial metal, contains potent anti-inflammatory properties that can be used to heal and prevent cracks, cuts, sores, wounds, and infections. Silverette are the original and authentic silver nursing cups, both clinically tested and registered with the FDA, because your nipples deserve the best. Join us on Mission Happy Nipples. Use code BADASS for 15% off of your order at SilverETTUSA. That's silver, E-T-T-E-USA.com. Use code BADASS for 15% off. And today's episode is also brought to you by Fairhaven Health. Fairhaven Health has introduced Sage Personal Moisturizer and Lubricant, the newest product in their vaginal care and comfort collection. Products designed to support vaginal health through every life stage. Sage is designed to replenish your natural lubrication and provide temporary relief from vaginal dryness. While vaginal dryness is common in older women, there are a handful of other factors that can lead to vaginal dryness. Guess what? Breastfeeding, antidepressants, some fertility and cancer medications, stress, and even exercise. As with the, all their other vaginal care products, Sage is made without estrogen, parabens, glycerol, or coating oils. Check out Sage and all the other vaginal care products at fairhavenhealth.com. That's F-A-I-R-H-A-V-E-N health.com. And use code BADASS for 15% off your purchase. And uh, today's sponsors and their promo codes can be found in our show notes under this episode at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com. Our show notes will also include further information about things we talk about in this episode. And at BadassBreastfeedingPodcast.com, you'll find our breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes, and information about scheduling your very own one-on-one online lactation consultation with Diane. Yes, with me. So there is a lot. um, So I was going to talk about the brain development first because this is this is interesting <clears throat> and then we're gonna talk about like security and attachment so all that stuff is like super um i find super interesting so 
This is about when is the brain fully developed? And in some ways, never. Our brains are continually reshaping themselves to meet the demands of everyday life, even throughout adulthood. And I'm not going to read this whole thing, but there is something in here that um, I just think is is really interesting. So it says, however, there are certain aspects of brain structure and function that do level off during development. For example, the number of neurons peaks even before birth. Some 100 billion are formed during just the first month, five months of gestation. Recent evidence suggests that new neurons are produced throughout life, though far less rapidly and probably a number sufficient only to replace those that gradually die off. In spite of the great number of neurons present at birth, brain size itself increases more gradually. And we've talked about this too on the podcast where that's why our gestational period is nine months. Because if we, because babies, you know, babies are too big for us to pass longer than that, but their brains are not fully developed. A lot of development happens, but their brains are not, they're like what, 25% developed or something when babies are born. So it becomes you know, a huge process, like there's a lot happening during gestation, but so much more that happens afterwards. Another way of measuring brain development is to look at the speed of neural processing. A newborn's brain works considerably more slowly than an adult, transmitting information some 16 times less efficiently. The speed of neuron proce neural processing increases dramatically during infancy and childhood, reaching its maximum at about age 15. Most of this increase is due to the gradual myelination of nerve cell axons, the long wires that connect one neuron to another. Myelin is a very dense, fatty substance that insulates axons, much like the plastic sheath on a power cable, increasing the speed of electrical transmission and preventing crosstalk between adjacent nerve fibers. Myelination, the coating or covering of axons with myelin, begins around birth and is most rapid in the first two years, but continues perhaps as late as into 30 years of age. So the reason why I wanted to read that part of it is because colostrum, when your infant is first born and you nurse them at birth and they're getting colostrum, colostrum actually starts this myelination process. So that is and then like, so knowing that as a lactation consultant and then like reading this, I'm like, wow, that is so amazing. Because we always talk about like how um, breastfeeding really impacts brain development and breastfeeding really, you know, helps with IQ and all that stuff. And this is why, because that colostrum from the start helps with this myelination process. So that is, you are doing amazing things by giving your baby colostrum because that is starting the process for them. So I think that is really interesting. Um, when we talk about security for attending to attending to baby's needs and things like that, and we we talk about that a lot too on the podcast because we talk about um, even things like, well, the first thing coming to my head is um, we talk about like the sleeping episodes, right? And responding to your baby and why they might not be sleeping at night and why they might need more, you know, more of your attention at certain times than others. And we, we know that when we respond to them, that makes a more secure child, right? Like that helps them yeah. to, to be more secure when we respond to their need. So we know that like the circle of security is 
when you give them that secure base. So your child might need you to support them exploring, watching over them, helping them, having fun with them, um, and th- but then being there when they need to come to you for something, right? Like that really helps them to know that you are there for them. It helps them to be more secure when you are doing that. And that is helping like with attachment for them as well. So understanding and assessing and supporting a healthy parent and infant relationship is being able to, you know, be attached to your child and respond to their needs because that is helping them to be more secure among themselves. Um, We were talking the other day about um, that video. I think we oh, talked yeah. About, yeah, about the video. And um, we talked about it in the episode that just came out, I think last week, um, about like, it's called like Still Face, I think it was called, the Still Face video. Yeah, something like that. And there's one for, for a mother and there's also one for a father where if you are not engaging with your child at all, you're just sitting there not engaging with them, not no facial expression, no nothing, how much that does impact the child. Um, and I linked the videos. I'll probably link them again this week too, because we're, you know, of course talking about this, but it is um, like if I, when I watch them, I was like, oh my God, it's just heartbreaking to me. It you know, is. it's just yeah. heartbreaking to watch these babies really struggling to try to engage a parent that is just not present. And um, they know, you know, like they, and that's really the, the, um, kind of the message there is that babies know when you're not engaging with them. So sometimes there is some confusion about like, what is attachment, right? Like what is attachment? What is attachment? We talked about attachment parenting. I know we've got an episode about attachment parenting and what is attachment versus like, um, you know, separation anxiety, like just a lot of, you know, a lot of what goes with it. So attachment and you do not have to be a breastfeeding parent to achieve attachment with your child. I think that's an important piece too, that people know, like you don't, a lot of it comes from the way you are with your, with your kid. So what is attachment? Close, psychologically intimate relationship between babies and their caregivers. And it doesn't even have to be a parent. It's their caregiver. So if their parent is somebody who's not present, maybe it's a grandparent, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. it's somebody else, Um, but it's that close psychologically intimate relationship between babies and their caregiver, a mutual relationship that impacts and benefits both. It is lifelong. So it is not something that's like, oh, okay, you know, you're four now, you don't need me anymore. And you just kind of wander out of their life. It is a lifelong, (laughs) you know, relationship. Yeah hardwired in mammals for survival and protection. This is not something that is just us because we're human beings. This is mammals. And we see it in like pack animals. We see it in, you know, like we, I see it in my dogs for God's sakes, right? They're pack animals. (laughs) My German shepherd follows me around. Like he cannot be without me. And like, there's me, if anybody out there has a German Shepherd, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But like, there's memes out there. Like, I remember somebody sent me a meme where it was like a German Shepherd, like walked into a room and was like, oh my God, I thought I lost you for five seconds. There you are. Like, that is absolutely my dog because like he, but they are pack animals and that they are wired to be with you because that is where their safety is. 
that is where their security is. They are wired to be with you all the time. And that's why people are like, oh my God, my dog is so loyal. Yes, they are hardwired for survival and protection. How are they going to survive? Yeah. Like, and it's the same with babies. How are they going to survive without us? I mean, and really like how, how would I, I don't know how I would survive without my kids, honestly. And people say that all the time. Like if something happened to my kid, like, I don't think I would survive it. And it's, it's the same thing. We are hardwired to be attached to them for survival. Um, And it is a regulatory theory. Now, Bowlby, um, who is like the, what is he like the father of attachment or something like that? I don't know what he's like technically called. His official um, title. Is that his? <laughs> I don't know what his official title is. I don't know what his official title is either. But this is going back to 1953. So this is like, this is not a new thing, right? Like this is not yeah. something that we're like, oh, attachment. It's this great new process that we, no, this is not anything new. This goes back to 1953. Essential for mental health is that an infant and young child should experience a warm, intimate, and continuous relationship with their mother or mother substitute in which both find satisfaction and enjoyment. That is what breastfeeding is, right? Like that, basically, if you like look at your breastfeeding relationship, a warm, intimate, and continuous relationship with their mother. And which both find satisfaction and enjoyment. I mean, I know sometimes the satisfaction and enjoyment yeah. piece on, on the parent end, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's questionable. But overall, like, I mean, come on. Like, we all, I mean, I, I think we all dislike being a parent at some point or another. It doesn't Absolutely. mean you hate it every, every time. That's part of it. Right. It's part of being a parent, right? But the overall thing is that at the end of the day, you're providing this to your child. This is what you're giving them. And I think, like, who who was it to? There was another. I want to say it was, I don't know, a doctor or something that said all children really need is security and warmth and like food and nourishment and security, whatever. And they get uh all those things from breastfeeding. Like it is, it is true. They do. They get all, you know, all of those things from breastfeeding. It doesn't have to be breastfeeding. You can give them your child all of these things without breastfeeding, but breastfeeding does all these things too. So that is why attachment, you know, we know that attachment is really, um, important for these kids. So why is a secure and healthy attachment important? It gives your baby physical safety. They are physically safe when they feel attached and secure. This is why they want to be on you every 20 seconds, especially in that fourth trimester, especially in the fourth trimester, because yeah. they are they are trying to wrap their new brain around the fact that they are now not in the womb anymore and they need to feel secure and safe. And that's how they feel when you are holding them. And we're like, oh my God, why won't this baby just like lay in their bassinet that I spent $1,500 on? They don't give a damn. (laughs) Yep. They don't care. (laughs) They do not care about that $1,500 bassinet. I am sorry. They do not care. They're like sucker. (laughs) (laughs) They want to be with you. And this is why it provides a physical safety, a secure base, increases autonomy and independence. It says it right here <laughs> in my training. It's in the papers. It's in the paperwork, people. <laughs> it increases independence. It, you are not raising a wuss. 
it increases independence in these children. It really does. Just like how I was reading just a couple of minutes ago, you've got that child who is running around doing things, exploring, just kind of like that story. I'm just talking about like different episodes as if everybody, you know, listens to every single episode. But when you were talking about Jack and how like he constantly was with you and then all of a sudden he was Uh like, all right, I'm going to go do this class. Like, but he knows when he comes back that you're there. And he can tell you all about it. And if he feels unsafe there, he can tell you about that too. Yeah, Like it is, this is what is building when you respond to them all the time and you keep them close. Resilience to stress. So Jack is able to be like, this is not stressful for me because I'm good. I have a secure relationship. I feel independent. So this is, it is not stressful for me to leave my parent because I'm, I feel safe. Because that's what they were brought up with the whole time. Ability to self-regulate. Healthy, meaningful, and interpersonal relationships. They can make meaning of one's life story. The foundation of how a child approaches the world. Promotes cognitive, motor, social, emotional, and physiological brain development across the lifespan. So your child is getting all of these things just by you being responsive to them. Like that, I mean, it might seem like I just want them to stop crying. Like that might be your main motivation at the moment is I want them to stop crying. So I'm going to pick them up. Right. They're getting all of these other things. All of these things are happening when you pick up that child. Yeah. It's okay to just pick them up because you want them to stop crying. That's fine. Oh yeah. I mean, you're you're still picking, you're picking them up. That's what you're like, oh, you know, I need, that's what they want. You don't have to be in a happy mood about it. No. When a child has consistent, safe, and emotionally attuned and available communication with their primary caregiver that result in the child experience feeling connected, understood, and protected, that is how secure, healthy attachment happens in children. So basically, the bottom line here is being responsive, you know, being responsive to your infant from day one, like this is goes on for years, right? We know that mm-hmm. this development ha- goes on for years for them. So it's not just like, oh, well, you know, I answered them for the first three months. Now they got to figure it out for themselves. Oh, they need you all the time. So being responsive to them early and often helps to lay the groundwork for this attachment structure that we want our kids to have. Like we just, we want them to, I know that's how I feel. I want my kids to feel this way. You know, Mm -hmm. I want them to feel secure. So what you might notice with your secure, healthy attachment with your infant and child, the infant and child or child knows that the caregiver is available to provide comfort. The infant child uses the caregiver as a secure base. So they know that they can go and explore the world but come back to you. They know that and they feel comfortable with that and they feel safe with that. Um, After separation, the infant child seeks contact with the caregiver and can be comforted. So that is, you know, your child that goes to, goes, goes out to school, you know, or daycare and then can be comforted when they come home and talk about their day and, you know, do all the things. They know that they can do that and they feel comfortable with that because they have secure caregivers. They seek nurturing from their caregiver, whether they're tired, they're frightened, they're hurt. And how often does breastfeeding cover all of those things too? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, how often do we hear people say, 
oh, geez, you know, my my kid's weaning. How do I get him to go to sleep? How do I don't want to give up breastfeeding because it's it's my everything. It covers when they're sick. It covers when they're tired. It covers when they're hurt. It covers when they're scared. Like it is the answer for a lot of things. Um, developmentally appropriate. You might see that stranger danger, which is totally normal. I mean, I receive messages and I'm sure you do too from people who are like, my child is, you know, eight, nine months old and nobody can hold them. All of a sudden, nobody can hold my, my, my baby anymore. They don't yeah. want to be with anybody but me. Like, yes, this is appropriate developmental behavior for, for a baby of that age. And for children, you know, like you've got your toddlers and you're like, oh, you know, here's your cousin that you haven't seen in, you know, ever in your life. And you expect them to go and play with this person. And your kid like, what? I don't know this person. That is totally normal. Infant child developmentally appropriate with crying with a caregiver because that is their way of communicating with you. Um, high responsiveness and high involvement. So like your child, everything that you are doing with them, responding to them is building all of this attachment with them. So we're like, yeah, we're like way far in. So what, what do you like? Do you have any comments? Um, <clears throat> I don't. <laughs> I think that you are covering everything that it is you so need to be covered. It? it is really, really interesting. It is really, I and find I, it really and I think I, it's important to remember that this is stuff that happens over a long period of time. Like we talked about it on last week's episode. I talked about it in the episode that that we did with um, when I was talking about Jack. Like he was eleven when he started to decide to go to this, you know, program. I'm not saying that you know your child's not going to do anything until they're eleven, but it's you know, this is a long process. We're, we are preparing them for the rest of their lives. And this is like the over and over and consistent, consistent responding of their needs. It's also not, you know, walking away when you're afraid you're going to shake them or something. That's fine. Walk away. We're talking about consistent and regular and routine things, not the exception. Right. Like never feel like, okay, now that my child is at school, they don't need me to respond to them anymore. Or now that my child is, you know, doing A, B, and C by themselves, I don't need to be as present for them anymore. Um, that That's not the case. You know, that's not the case. They still need you to be responsive, to be. And, and sometimes that's really hard. And I can say that too, like as somebody who's got teenagers, because sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes you just want to check out for the day. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you just want to be done for the day and your kid's like, mom, look at this, or this is what I did. Or let me tell you about this, or let me show you this. And it's like, oh my God, I just don't want to interact with one more human being today. And that's normal. That's fine. But this is your child still coming to you for that interaction, for that attachment, that they still need to feel okay and to feel safe. Um, There's so much to attachment. I mean, we could always do more. Like if, if people are really interested in this and we hear from people with questions or whatever, and they, they want to know more, we can absolutely do more about this because there is so much information. Um, and there's so much really cool stuff that goes along with this. So yeah, we can always talk more about it if anybody is interested in doing so. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Diane. That was very enlightening. Well, thank you all for listening to me jabber on for 45 (laughs) minutes. I I appreciate it. (laughs) We love it. Have a good one, everybody. See you later. Bye. Bye.